Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, December 10th, 2019, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. And we'd like to let you know that starting in January, we're going to go to an every other Tuesday format, still bringing you great guests and essential knowledge for starseeds to better serve the planet. And this will also give us more time to focus on our clients. And I do want to clarify that I goofed on this week's show announcement. So our next show after tonight will be January 7th, and then the show after that will be on the 21st, not the 14th, like I put in there. I don't know what I was thinking. I wasn't thinking. (laughs) But with over 430 episodes in our radio archives, there is still plenty of great Starseed information just waiting for you. Our special guest tonight is Gloria Amendola who has become our traditional guest for our Christmas show, bringing messages of hope and light from Mary Magdalene. Gloria is an author and practicing intuitive with a passion for the dream time, esoteric knowledge, the hidden history of Jesus and Mary Magdalene, and the mysteries that surround them. She's facilitated over 300 Magdalene circles in the United States, Europe, the United Kingdom, and Gloria takes groups on pilgrimage pilgrimages to sacred lands in France, England, Scotland, Wales, and the American Southwest. She teaches the Holy Grail mysteries and their connection to the secret destiny of America. She channels the Founding Fathers and leads small groups to key Freemasonic sites in the Washington, D.C. area. She's written five books, including her popular trilogy, Mary Magdalene, Revelations from a First Century Avatar. And she will be releasing her latest book in the spring of 2020. She follows the footsteps of the Judean refugees, the Druids, the Essenes, and Knights Templar, gathering impressions from the traces they left behind. Gloria has learned where they walked, so too walked the ancient ones. Initiates of the mysteries have gathered in sacred sites for reasons we're just beginning to understand. They left us an extraordinary legacy, one that could be decoded when the time was right. And that time is finally here, and fascinating revelations are at hand. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> yeah. You can visit her website at gloria-amendola.com. And Amendola is spelled A-M-E-N-D-O-L-A. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to starseeds not heard in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Kathy, Jada, and Fiona for hosting the switchboard tonight um, in case anyone has any questions for Gloria. We have an online starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other starseeds thanks to Tammy's helpful dedication. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk, Um, And if you'd like to show your support of our program, all you have to do is click follow on our page, and then you'll get our weekly show notices so you know what's coming up, but you will have to enable those. Our main website is starseedhotline.com. 
The Stage 1 starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart. And the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, Rebecca, or myself. If you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when it happens by requesting your solar return timing. That only takes a few days. But if you want the Stage 2 interpretation of that chart, you'll need to order it at least six months ahead of your birthday to make sure you get it in before your 10 hours. So first, I would like to introduce our very own Anastasia with her wonderful, ever-popular Starseed News. Oh, good evening, Ariel. Okay. The button was still spinning, but you're here. Okay, good. I'm here, yes, yes. And good evening, everybody. It's great to be with you. Well, solar minimum has arrived. We are actually officially in it. There are no sunspots. You know, the current stretch of spotless days has gone for 26, 26 days. The total of sun spotless, spotless days for this year is 263. That's 76% of the time the sun has been spotless. Now, that's been gradually increasing. It has nearly doubled from uh, 2017. In fact, two and a half times greater spotless days than just two years ago. We have to go all the way back to 2015 when there were no spotless days, zero. 365 days of 2015 had sunspots. In 2014, there was only one uh, one day without sunspots. 2013, no days without sunspots. 2012, no days without sunspots. We have to go all the way back to 2008, in which there were 73% of the time in which there were no sunspots. So we're entering a cycle now into the depth of it. The last time this occurred to this magnitude was in 2008, 11 years ago. So... And there is a Venus-Saturn conjunction tonight when the sun goes down. Step outside to look southwest. Venus and Saturn are converging for a sunset conjunction. At closest approach tomorrow night, the two planets will be just under two degrees apart. Brilliant Venus will pop out of the twilight first thing, followed 15 minutes later by first magnitude Saturn. So go out and take a look. If the sky is clear, it should be cool where you are probably, more than likely. The stars should be brilliant. It'll be a beautiful sight. Well, I normally don't talk U.S. politics on this show, but I have to mention this. December 10th, 2019, the House Democrats have unveiled two articles of impeachment against Trump. The Judiciary Committee uh, Chairman Jerry Nadler of New York and his colleagues announced they're charging the president with abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. And there has been a rare tornado formed at 13,200 feet up in a town in Bolivia, high elevation town. They say this is one of the highest altitude tornadoes ever that's ever occurred. This is a rare tornado. It touched down near the El Alto International Airport in Bolivia Sunday, tossed debris into the air, swirled its way into record books. It's one of the like I said, the highest altitude tornadoes ever observed. It did cause minor damage. But the thing about this is, is the city itself or the town, actually it's really pretty much a city. When you look at the picture of it, it's a pretty big place, lots and lots of buildings, 13,313 feet above sea level. Now, this came without any warning, no storm warning, that, according to the reports. But also, once the tornado occurred, it had an apparent counterclockwise spin. Now, why is that unusual? Well, 
nearly all supercell tornadoes in the southern hemisphere spin clockwise. Now here, northern hemisphere, the majority of uh, tornadoes rotate counterclockwise, but occasionally uh, they switch. Sometimes in the northern hemisphere they will go clockwise. But opposite rotations are rare, but they do occur from time to time, just as this Bolivian uh, tornado did. So, but very interesting. It appeared out of nowhere, and it rotated in the opposite direction, and it was at the highest elevation ever recorded. You know, I used to live in the mountains. We never worried about tornadoes. That was like thinking the sun would fall out of the sky. It seemed a near impossibility at a high altitude you would get a tornado. And, you know, this is happening with greater and greater frequency across the planet. Uh, and as a matter of fact, there's some very uh, rare and unseasonal and large tornadoes that have happened this year. There was uh, two freak tornadoes that touched down in France. Uh, there was a North Texas tornado outbreak that cost $2 billion in losses. That was the costliest in state's history. A tornado tore through Luxembourg, and another touched down in Amsterdam this year. There was a rare tornado that struck in China, it killed six people and injured 190. There was a freak winter tornado that flattened a house in Victoria, Australia. There was a very rare, enormous tornado that hit southern Taiwan. There was a clockwise, remember we talked about counterclockwise being in the northern hemisphere? Well, there was a rare clockwise tornado that touched down in South Dakota this year. There was a rare tornado that hit central Chile. There was a tornado that obliterated Linwood, Kansas. It was mile-wide EF4 twister, top winds of 170 miles an hour. There were twin tornadoes, snapped, uh, taking pictures of that in the Scottish Highlands. And there was this enormous tornado that ripped through Missouri, almost a mile wide and 20 miles long. And a tornado in Romania this year lifted a bus into the air. Now, in the early years, you'd say 20, 40, 50 years ago, uh, I realized that the communication between countries wasn't all that, well, it isn't what it wasn't what it is today, but nevertheless, this was just not heard of in many of these places in the world. They just didn't have tornadoes. But lo and behold, they are happening just about everywhere. Well, um, gosh, this is a, a story you ought to know about. I had no idea until I discovered it, so I'm sharing it with you. Um, this news story broke on Sunday. Uh, there are massive fish and bird die-offs at the Gulf of Alaska. Uh, they tell us that extremely low cod numbers have led the federal government to close the Gulf of Alaska fishery for the very first time ever. It's an unprecedented response to the low numbers of Pacific cod. It's closing altogether for the 2020 season. They tell us that it's not overfishing to blame for this die-off, but rather they are saying it's climate change. They tell us that it's warming ocean temperatures and climate change that are causing uh, disaster in Alaska's fisheries. It's causing biologists to worry, and fishermen are not making much money. Um, they said that Gulf cod populations are at a historic low, with next to no new eggs. This is according to NOAA's research. And then there's even more misery for the Alaskan pink salmon fisheries. Prince William Sound Science Center field uh, season was marked by low flow and high pre-spawn mortality. 
There was virtually no rain, which led to extremely low flows, and field crews observed unprecedented pre-spawning die-offs among the salmon and unusually late migration into the, into the streams. They say that this is uh, <laughs> the weather changes are affecting these fish. Thousands of fish were restricted to tide pools without enough water to get back to the bay. They said that 10,000 died over a single night, and they said there's never been anything documented like this in the past. In November 2019, thousands of short-tailed shearwater birds migrating from Alaska were washing up dead on Sydney, Australia's beaches. And they say the bird deaths had nothing to do with the wildfires in Australia. It says that they were dying out at sea. And they say that this is a confirmation of the incredible fish shortages being experienced in the Pacific Ocean. These birds were migrating back to southern Australia to breed after spending the summer in Alaska, but... According to the experts, a higher number than usual are dying on the way due to a lack of food. There's not enough food in the Pacific to feed the migrating birds. They say they need the krill and other fish that they feed on uh, to survive. And they say that these, uh, uh, what, these fish that the birds survive on are dwindling due to sea temperatures rising. But I have to ask myself... What about radiation from Fukushima? We never hear a word about that. But they're saying it is a re repetitive series of catastrophic die-offs of both fish and birds in the Pacific with millions upon millions of small seabirds that have been reported dead in the last four years. And right now at this time, it's the shearwaters, but in recent years, it's been puffins, murrays, and auklets dying because they couldn't find enough to eat in the Pacific Ocean. Oh. Well, you all heard about the uh, White Island volcano erupting in New Zealand. I'm sure you all heard about that. Um, there were five people killed with eight people missing and presumed dead. Twenty-seven of the 31 survivors were burnt by this volcanic eruption on the, in New Zealand, the White Island volcano. And, you know, just a day earlier, New Zealand, this is wild, guys, New Zealand experienced a record in lightning strikes. In the 24 hours leading up to the eruption, 109,000 lightning strikes were recorded over New Zealand and the surrounding waters, with 18,000 lightning strikes over the land. Previously, the New Zealand records for lightning had only seen 44,000 strikes over both land and sea. Now, we're talking 127,000 lightning strikes versus 44,000 as the previous record. And then the volcano erupted. We had a 5.3 magnitude quake also hit New Zealand the day after that fatal volcano eruption. It hit on the New Zealand's North Island. So, wow, I mean, that area of the world's really had it. The volcanic eruption, the earthquake, a separate, a separate incident, and all of this massive lightning. And in uh, Russia, I didn't even know about this volcano. There's a bunch of them I never report on. But right now there is one uh, that has an eruption warning. It's called the Avachinsky Volcano. Uh, it's a stratovolcano. It's about 9,000 feet. Uh, there are signs of activity there. People are warning tourists to stay away. Uh, they had first outbreaks yesterday in the center of the volcano. So anyway, it's spewing gas and uh, showing signs of blowing its top. In Tonga, there was a 6.4 earthquake uh, on Friday. Uh, 
And uh, in the past week, there was some pretty impressive and rare tropical activity in the ocean, in the West Indian Ocean. Five tropical systems developed simultaneously. This is pretty bizarre. Tropical cyclones, uh, 06A and 07A. There was uh, three invest storms or tropical depressions and all at once, and it really filled up the West Indian Ocean. Don't know really what's happened with that. That was a story from late last week. I didn't track it further. I don't know if they're still developing, but anyway, mm, that's something to look at. And in, uh, we've had a lot of snow across the planet. My goodness, it's just broken record after record after record, and a lot of flooding and rain, and there have been floods in Kenya that has killed 132 people in floods and landslides. I said that they uh, 17,000 people were displaced and over 11,000 livestock swept away by the waters. It's affected more than half the country of Kenya. Now, the, the irony of this is these people have suffered a horrible drought. The droughts have caused a food shortage. They've caused the price of goods to go up. People have been suffering from the drought. And then suddenly the deluge and the rain now has given them a double whammy because now it's, it's damaged the infrastructure of the entire country and the farmlands, which produce the food, but which hadn't been producing food because of the drought. We'll send a lot of light and help there. All right, well, it is Christmas time and or the Christmas season, I should say, and I have some wonderful stories to share with you. Great. Uh, Grinch. Gosh, we all remember the Grinch. <laughs> well, in Calgary... Um, people might be safe from the Grinch this year. Yeah, there won't be a Grinch bothering anybody in Calgary this year because a group of Calgary police officers arrested him with the help of three little kids. Um, how this happened was four police officers were having their lunch in the food court of a mall when they overheard the family next to them talking about the Grinch. Now, the Grinch was in the mall. Santa was on one end, Grinch was on the other. The kids were talking, and they, they were saying that they ought, the children were saying that they ought to arrest the Grinch for stealing Christmas. Why didn't the police arrest the Grinch for stealing Christmas? Well, the next thing, uh, the mother said, the next thing we knew, there was an officer crouching down at our table with his uh -huh. uh, nose over the top of the table. And he told my kids that they were going to arrest the Grinch, but that they needed backup. And he wondered if my kids could help him. Well, the police walked back down to where the Grinch was, and the kids were in tow. Three little kids. A picture of this was adorable. Uh, two little towheads and a little brunette. Probably the oldest was about seven or eight, maybe. And uh, the three policemen and the children, uh, they walked down, and there was the Grinch with his green face and his Santa suit. And, of course, that was a photo op for the police department because <laughs> they took pictures of the kids and the Grinch in handcuffs. And mother said, I just wanted to share this story. As it made my day, maybe even my year, my children haven't stopped talking about it. The Grinch was amazing and the cops were fabulous. My kids felt like it was the best day and the best Christmas ever. It's, it's an adorable photograph, it really is. So the Grinch can't steal Christmas in Calgary. So, And, and we'll just tell our kids that that's for everywhere. The Grinch was arrested, so no problem yeah. this year. <laughs> At least these children saw some justice, huh? That's that's pretty really? good. <laughs> and uh, 
in Ireland, the, the uh, County Cork, Ireland, has a little primary school, and they decided to do away with all homework for the entire month of December. And instead, they're replacing homework with, guess what, acts of kindness. Oh. So for the third year in a row, students at this school will not have any homework for the entire month of December. Instead, they're being asked to perform nice acts for friends, family, and community, and to record these deeds in a special kindness diary, which each student will complete daily. And last year, the school replaced homework in December with gratitude. The children and their families recorded all the things they were grateful for in a gratitude diary. So this year it's kindness. Last year it was gratitude. And the school is suggesting that the children do something nice for an elderly neighbor, maybe perform an act of kindness for a relative or a friend who's lonely. But the act can be anything as long as it brightens someone's day. As if the initi uh, initiative couldn't get any lovelier, the school has also insta installed a kindness bucket where children can write kind notes about each other. <laughs> Along with uh -huh. this kindness diary initiative, there will be a kindness bucket in school where the children can place kind observations about their peers, which, he, which we hope will boost the self-esteem of those around them. Each Friday morning at the assembly, a random selection of these observations will be shared to emphasize how small acts and kind words can make, make huge differences in somebody's life. This is what a teacher said. And finally, each class is going to put their heads together and come up with a class-wide project which will help the entire community. And the teacher said, in this world consumed by social media where our young people are constantly experiencing pressure, there is no better way to show them the way forward in this world than by practicing kindness. Wow. Oh, that's See wonderful. how easy that is. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, yeah. just do it, right? Just be the inspiration to these children. Oh, my goodness. Is that refreshing? It's fabulous. It is. And finally, there is a New Jersey woman who's been very, very busy. She got started to get busy probably late summer. Um, she lives in New Jersey, and she crocheted 45 blankets. And there's a photo of them on the Internet, and they're gorgeous. I mean, the colors and the design, they're beautiful. They're wrapped beautifully in plastic. They're folded perfectly. They're they're really quite spectacular. And she has donated them all to children in a hospital. Her daughter uh -huh. said, My mom has been donating crocheted blankets to sick children over the past 20 years. In total, she made 45 Afghans this year, 45 of which she just donated to Jersey Shore Medical Hospital Pediatric and Pediatric ICU wards. <laughs> and this is her fifth year in donating to this hospital. She's been doing this for 20 years. She's probably donated over a 1,000 blankets to those in need at this point in her lifetime, her daughter said, and she's not stopping anytime soon. Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, wow. Forty-five. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, it takes I'm, months gosh. for me to do one. I mean, really, I mean, you should see the pile of them. Uh, obviously, she's gifted with her. She probably does it year-round. But you know that isn't that's expensive, and time-consuming, and and she gives them away, and she puts all of this love and energy. So when a sick child's wrapped up in it, and the beautiful colors that she uses, the touch of home, the the feminine love, the caring that goes in that, 
no telling how many children she's helped heal with these blankets, really. I mean, wow. it's just awesome. Well, uh, we'll end this with a quote by St. Basil. A tree is known by its fruit, a man by his deeds. A good deed is never lost. He who shows courtesy reaps friendship, and he who plants kindness gathers love. Mm, beautiful. Oh, beautiful. And from my heart to each one of you, have a beautiful holiday season, everyone, and just much love all the way around. So I guess we're going to meet again in January, A-R-E-L, on the 7th. Right, on the 7th, and then the 21st. All right. All right. Okay. Well, much love to all of you. Thank, Thank you, you Ariel. Thank okay. you Good so night. much, Anastasia. And happiest of seasons to you as well. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. So um, before uh, we bring um, Lavendar and Gloria Amendola on, um, I want to start off the interview with one of my very favorite Christmas songs, and um, this is on my CD, which um, you can get on the website. But I just love this song. It's called Mary, Did You Know?
that's a good way to kick it off. <laughs> Lavendar and Gloria, your mics are open and you're ready to go. Hey, thank you so much. Oh, Ariel, that is such a beautiful song, and we just love hearing it every year. So, Gloria, are you there? I am, Lavendar. How are you? Okay, so I'm hearing an echo, Ariel. Do you have, have everything shut down on your end? Um, I'm I'm try, I'm trying to track it down right now. Oh. Do you still hear the echo? Yeah. Oh wait, it just went away. Well, you no, you probably need you probably need to go off mic. Let's see if that helps. Okay. Is it working? No, it's it's still there. Okay. Well, um, Gloria, do you, are you on do you have, are you on speaker? Yeah, I that's what I usually always do. Well, just switch it off for a moment to to see if we can find the source of that. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. How about now? Yep. Okay, that wasn't it, Gloria. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. It, yeah. Because I usually um, use. Hmm. That is weird. I, I, um, Does it sound really bad? It seems to be coming and going. So why don't we just try to get started? And if it becomes um, prohibitive, then. Um, You'll both have to just hang up and call back, and maybe we'll just get a better line. But um, I tell you what, why don't you, why don't you let me call back? You talk to her, and I'll and I'll call right back. Okay, let me do it. Okay. Yeah. Are you there, Ariel? Yeah. 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 I, I just have to. Say, it was so lovely hearing that song again. That was really nice. Uh, I I love that song. It just. It reaches some frequency in me that just lifts me up. So I always like to share it at Christmas time. Really, really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, How's the sound? Uh, we okay? Well, Lavender hung up, and I still heard the echo, so I don't think it was coming from her phone. Um, and huh. I don't know what to what to do about it, but let's just forge ahead and and if it just well, gets if you, it you know I can always um, call back uh, via my cell phone, which is a pretty clear connection as well. Those, well now the echo doesn't seem to be happening. Okay. Oh no, it is. Uh, well, I don't want to I don't want to uh, interrupt the flow the flow of the show, but maybe um, let me get Lavender back on. Lavender, I'm um, here. It, it, yeah, it was still there even after you hung up. So how about uh, Gloria? Can Gloria? Can you just hang up and call right back in on the on the same phone that you're on? Sure. I'm gonna hang up now. Okay. Wow, that was so strange. Lavender, are you you're still there? Okay. Well, the echo, I think it went away. So it must yeah. have been something on, maybe it was something on Gloria's line. But um, she's going to call back in here in, in a moment, and I'm just going to be watching for her to I get back in. I love those stories that 
I love those stories that Anastasia uh, said oh, at the end there. Oh, isn't that great? Yes, yeah. it was. Yeah. Okay, um, Gloria's back, so let me get her mic open. Okay. Okay, Gloria. Hi, how are Hello. you? Hello. All right. Hello, I think that fixed the problem. Excellent. Okay. Okay, okay Gloria. I um <laughs> I am anxious to uh to hear all about everything that's happened to you since we last talked a year ago, but I want to start by saying how much I appreciate the work that you do and the things that you activate on the planet. You're one of our real special people that travel around and activate sacred sites and people and star seeds and we're just so appreciative of all your work. I just wanted to say that to you first. Oh, thank you, Lavendar. I really appreciate that. Thank you. I was noticing that you had some kind of experience on July 28, 2019. Uh, could you give us a little heads up about what this date is about? And it looks like that something happened to you that drew you to the American Southwest instead of France or Scotland on this date. Can you share with us this story? I sure can. I don't recall if last year when I was on, if I mentioned the July 28, 2019 date that I had rediscovered in the late Dr. Tim Wallace Murphy's uh, well-known book on Rosslyn Chapel in Scotland. And to, to um, synthesize this and to make it as simple as possible, I'll just try to hit the highlights. When I was in France in uh, 2018, I was with a group in Montsegur, and they were climbing up to the Cathar Castle. And I sat down below, and I finished rereading the book, except for the last few pages. And as I was reviewing the information on how the seven temples along the Nile River corresponded to the chakra system, that if we use the seven major chakra system, that the Templars were responsible in resuscitating old Druid oracle sites in Europe, beginning with Spain, most of them being in France, and the last one representing the seventh chakra or the Druidic planetary oracle of Saturn um, was at Rosslyn Chapel in Scotland. And there was this discussion as they moved about this initiatory pathway through Europe and the U.K., that there could possibly be an alignment. Now, the book was written in 1999, and they, were, they got this hunch that there could be this planetary correspondence with the cathedral and druidic correspondence. And so they used the tools they had available to them at that time 20 years ago, and lo and behold, they found that the way that a certain – seven uh, bodies, heavenly bodies aligned in the heavens was the exact correspondence of these seven now cathedrals, um, beginning with Santiago de Compostela in Spain, uh, moving all through France and then into Scotland, um, and that there was this alignment. And Tim's uh, colleague and friend, who he deeply respected, felt that this would be a time of great change on the planet uh, and this was, again, 20 years ago, and a lot of cataclysm. So when I was listening to the news, um, the Earth-based based news at the beginning of our show here, I, I was feeling how much has really happened since that date. Does that, does that sound right? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Go ahead. 
Okay, so so what happened was when I finished the book, I thought, um, well, maybe I should be in uh, Rosslyn, uh, Scotland. But I had gone in 2018, and I knew my work there for now was complete. And so I tapped into Magdalene, I tapped into Yeshua and others that I work with, and I asked, where do you want me to be on this date? I knew Tim to be an extremely reliable researcher. I knew him as a dear friend, and I knew he would never write anything he couldn't prove. This is this was his uh, what he always told me. And when, I was so shocked when I got back the message that I was return I was to return to my roots, having been born in New Mexico, and to begin there and to do this uh, sort of chakra trail in the American Southwest, and I was shocked because I've spent so many years in Europe, in the UK, as you know, that to circle back, it was, it, it just opened so many new doorways for me that years ago when I was traveling out there, the understanding of what was to reveal itself was over my head at the time. But this past July, along with some very uh, dear friends, there were seven of us that made this journey, um, it was an extraordinary journey leading up to that date, and then that date at the very end of our journey led us to Sedona, and that's where it all seemed to come together. Wow. So what was the what was the alignment that you were looking at? Do you know the, the placements? Because I've just drawn it up on the chart in front of me, and I, I'm noticing that one particular planet has something to do with the activation of bloodlines for star seeds. Wow, that's fascinating. That would make total sense to me. I unfortunately don't have the research handy. It's uh, I can't quite figure out where I put it in all my archive files, but I will say this. I worked with a group um, in a couple of ladies in Florida who had, uh, we were talking about this, and originally uh, we were going to all go to Scotland together, but that wasn't what was in the cards for me. And I know that a French physicist, um, a woman I've never met, but I saw her research because they were kind enough to send the data, and I could actually send it to you, Lavendar, but uh, so I can't really speak. I can't draw those files up quickly to see. But I know that Tim, you know, they worked really hard to prove this correspondence as above, so below. And I can't speak to the specifics at this moment. Well, I do notice in the chart that Mercury is at uh, 24 degrees and 30 minutes of cancer retrograde, which to me uh, talks about the activation of starseed bloodline planet. And across from that is Pluto. So Pluto would be the power that would activate the bloodlines on the planet. Wow. Wow, I didn't I didn't make that connection. I, I find that fascinating. Yeah. Well, and the stelliums, wow. Venus and Sun and, and Mars are conjunct in Leo. So it's showing the royal bloodlines right there with those three planets. Wow. Wow. Maybe... maybe Maybe even the violet blood on the planet. Okay. Can you explain the violet blood? Well, it has to do with a lot of different uh, starseed experiments. But remember when they put down the uh, experiments with royal bloodlines, you couldn't marry outside of the royal family? It's because they were genetically designed to have violet blood. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's very interesting that you say, that you mention these correspondences. One thing I wanted to share, given this is the Christmas season and, and miracles are possible, I wanted to share the story of before we even got to Sedona. So it was a couple of days before the July 28th date. Of course, we started on Magdalene's feast day. It just it just all unfolded that way. We were at Star Dreaming Ranch outside of Santa Fe, a very um, an extraordinary place of bringing in the stars and the cosmos into the earth in these earthen stone temples that Dr. Jerob is, um, has really chipped all the stone by hand. It's an extraordinary place. You can Google it. But what happened was the theme of water kept following us. Now, I live in New England, the Northeast, not that far from New York City, but yet um, – it's very wooded where I am, very green, and I live along the ocean. And we get a lot of water here. So water we take uh, for granted a bit, but when we were out west, it just struck us how incredibly dry it is out there and how water is so fundamental. So everywhere we went, we just kept singing the Algonquin water song and praying rain for the people. So when we got to Hopi, we had already been doing that all along the way, and we met with a wonderful guide out there, and um, there were some wonderful stories. You probably know all this, but for your listeners, we were I was able to confirm with our guide that the Hopi believe their creator god, Masao, uh, came from the stars, and that the three mesas in Arizona, uh, in on the Hopi reservation, the Hopi lands, those three mesas, those those flat top mountains, are all aligned to the belt stars of Orion. I didn't know that. Yeah, so I mean, we're, we're a lot of us are familiar with the Giza Plateau in Egypt and that alignment uh, with the belt stars of Orion. So I was compelled to look at an old book I had by Gary David, who had spent uh, 20 years living with the Hopi in Arizona, a really wonderful man and author. Uh, For anyone who's interested in this, I encourage you to uh, check out his work, Gary David. So I was shocked when he had the diagrams and was so, to me, the three mesas corresponding to Orion uh, in the Hopi land is even more precise than Egypt. Wow. So when I asked our guide, okay, can you, you know, can you confirm that? Yes, we can. Okay. Um, can you tell me uh, who your creator God is, this Masao? And they said Masao is a star being, and, of course, he's come to teach us the ways of agricultural agriculture and other things. And if you Chaco Canyon in New Mexico was a site that we were at where all the kivas, many of the kivas are aligned to Orion, uh, and there's many stellar alignments there. So this stuff I had seen so much of in Europe and the U.K., and now I was rediscovering it in the American Southwest. The same intelligence, the same archaeoastronomy, and here we have these belt stars. So I asked further because we had a very open Hopi guide of of the uh, grandmother clan, of the feminine clan out there. I didn't know that. It just worked out that way. And I said, so is this Missal, this star being, would another phrase or words uh, describe him as an advanced extraterrestrial. And they, and she said, without hesitation, that's exactly what we believe. Wow. 
no hesitation whatsoever. And what I came to learn through the work of Mark Pinkham and our Hopi guide and being there at Hopi was that they were actually taking, I think this is interesting because climate change and this acceleration of time is so prevalent at this point. And it reminded me of the stories of the ant people or the Anunnaki, whichever you decide it might be, uh, took the certain Hopi people into the earth twice when the surface of the earth experienced cataclysms. Now, in this July 28th date, uh, Tim Wallace Murphy's friend uh, believed that it would be a time of cataclysm, but I don't know what his filter was. It could be a time of great awakening, cataclysm, rebirth, we don't know, right? I mean, it, the, those words are interchangeable. Well, the one thing that I'm noticing about the planet, Saturn and Pluto are making a um, kind of a wide conjunction and, and one that's going to be there on January 12th. But in between is the south node at 17 Capricorn, which makes me think it's bringing the records for great communication to the planet. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, I like that. And when you speak of that January 12th alignment, there's a couple of there's something I wanted to share with you in particular, Lavendar. But I was looking at your book, um, 50 Questions and Answers: A Celestial Point of View. I was rereading it today, and because I was aware of the Saturn aspect in that January alignment, I saw that you um, the question in your book was, "What is karma?" And it just struck me that this idea of group karma, um, national karma, world karma, and personal karma is all in play on that uh, during that January 12th alignment. How do you feel about that? Well, that, that makes sense. And, and I look back the last time that Saturn and Pluto were at this particular placement, and it was 28 years ago, and 28 years ago, the Internet went online. Oh, wow. That's that's an interesting correlation. Yeah. So there wow. must be some event that's going to happen so that we can get it instantly all over the world. You know, I, I'm feeling that there's something to that. I know a, a friend of mine, Kelly Knight in uh, Salem, Marblehead, Massachusetts, we were talking about, I was up there presenting, and we were talking about a couple of different things. One being, and I, I heard this first in tw December 2015, that there's a lot of astrologers who believe that December 21st, 2020, is the actual start of the Aquarian age. Do you believe that? I'm sure you're familiar with the with the alignments at that time or the astrological aspects. Does that make sense? Yes, well, the thing that I came to know after much research and study over this particular date, it wasn't so much uh, the information for me personally about the Mayan calendar. What I noticed was star seeds and their bloodlines started waking up all over the planet. I mean instantly, because in 2013 and 2014, we had a huge migration. We had people getting married, divorced, leaving their jobs, just walking out from corporate America and going to the woods. I mean, it was massive. Hmm. So I kind of visualized it as 
all all the pieces on the chessboard, and then somebody came along with a big hand and just threw them all off. <laughs> That's kind of what I saw about 2012. Yeah. Okay. But this 2020, this this uh, winter solstice 2020, do you feel that that it it could be the official um, beginning of the Aquarian age? It certainly yeah. felt to me like yeah, July wait. was the yeah. beginning of a very large galactic cycle. Well, um, that makes a lot of sense, and it's remember it's a seven year pattern now. This is seven years. So yeah, it's like it's coming to a place where there's a it's like a new sheriff's in town. (laughs) Okay, you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So we're we're going to be stepping in, and what you said about karma, I really do believe there's a lot of souls that came back just to experience karma together. There's there's groups of people that I'm noticing show up and. They seem to come to the planet and they seem to leave, you know, with the same sense of knowing about coming and going. Yeah. Hmm. That's fascinating. I feel like since last, for since June of uh, this year, June 2019, the Crab Nebula spit out a, a burst of photonic light photons that reached the planet in a burst that has never been recorded before it was huge and on the trip to uh, the american southwest we actually went through the, i think your listeners will like this we went through the town of magdalena and we ended up at the very large array in the san augustin plains just past it where they have the massive uh satellite dishes that record all these things wow yeah it's really it's really worth going there to see how they take different pictures and create a composite image of things that are happening in the universe. And so I'm sure they knew about this crab nebula explosion. And then we had that July 28th date, and it seemed to me, because I was so aware of it, that when I got back, there was just an incredible acceleration from that point. And then now this January um, 2020 alignment just seems like a natural Um, unfoldment of this acceleration. One of the things that my friend Kelly Knight said in the workshop when we were all giving our different aspects was that perhaps, you know, this, um, we we actually have this eclipse in moon uh, around Christmas time, and that seems to have more fortunate and happy aspects to it, but then, boom, that door opens, and it seems like the January one is harsh. It's difficult. It's strong. It's big. And it just seems like uh, mastery is afoot. And if you really want to go this final distance to the Aquarian age, that everything is going to come up, personal karma, uh, planetary karma, national karma, karma of the United States of America, that sort of thing. As an astrologer, does that resonate with you? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I noticed in my ephemeris that on, on the 18th, when the sun is going to be at 26 or 27, that's the mark of galactic center, that the, the last quarter moon will be at 26 Virgo, which opens up a lot of high healing from a lot of places on the planet. Oh, that is exquisite. That's exquisite. That really resonates with me. So that would, act- I just, that would also I, I, activate 
at Mercury at 24:30 on July 28th. Ah, wow, wow. Yeah. Well, you know, when we were at Hopi and we were getting this incredible information and these confirmations from our guide, and we were traveling on the mesas and the land and so forth. Again, going back to the idea of how dry it was, we um, before we met with her the night before, we drummed and we burned sage and we were staying on Second Mesa, and they were preparing for the rain dances that were an add-on to their schedule of dances because they needed rain. They were in deep drought. They needed water. Water is life. So when we finished with our guide, I asked permission if we could pray rain for them before we left. On our way, you know, moving out, and we were moving towards uh, Williams, Arizona, preparing for the Grand Canyon uh, the, that following day. And she said, of course you can. So we waited until we found a, a good location. And before we left the Hopi lands, we had had such a heart connection with the Hopi and with our guide that we sang our songs, we sang the Algonquin water song, we used our rattles and our drums and just called out and really from our heart put that vibe out there. And I swear to God, I thought I saw rain on Second Mesa, but it was pretty hot. It was in July and I thought, well, maybe the desert's playing tricks on me. So we put our stuff back in the vehicle. We drove to Williams, Arizona. By the time I got there and we all checked in, I was tired, so I didn't check email till the next morning. But when I did, I had an email from our guide, and she thanked me in Hopi because it had rained that afternoon. Oh, wow. Wow. So that's our miracle at Hopi, and it's part of the theme of uh, some of Magdalene's message that I'll I'll read later later on this evening. But so much of the work that I've been doing on a personal level and with groups has really been as we go through this tremendous and accelerated and potent passage that we really have to. What's really beneficial for us is to be in our heart our heart chakra, our heart center, that field of energy, that somehow that's what gets us through these incredible changes. What was the connection that you made with the Knights of the Templar with the American Native Indians? Well, this is fascinating. Uh, There were two connections made with the Templars out west. One, in 2002, I had uh, worked with an intuitive um, in New Mexico by phone, And this reading was done for me. And the person who was extremely knowledgeable, way over my head at that time, that's 17 years ago, she told me that Chaco Canyon was a Templar crossroads and that I should, because I was visiting there in 2003, that I should, and personal, it was a personal visit, uh, I should definitely make sure I went there because something happened with reconfiguring DNA and that, yes, indeed, it was a Templar crossroads. Well, I didn't know a lot about the Templars, a little bit. And through the work of Gary David, he actually was the first author that I ever read credible pieces of research and information that suggested that the Templars themselves were very aware of these center places, these umphalos, these these nodal points on the earth, and they were looking for the big one. 
And I have a feeling that they were out in Chaco Canyon looking for whatever that meant. I haven't gotten that far yet, but he was the first author in 17 years that I found those pieces, so I was really thrilled. And then as a result of that and further digging when I got home, I was able to put together more pieces on how, as the Templars made their way across America in, you know, way back then, um, long before the United States was formed, they were uh, depositing very sacred um, objects, let's say. And the native tribes, not every tribe, but certain native tribes helped them to this day have, have been the guardians of very sacred bloodline relics. Wow. Wow. What did they say about the ant people? Give us a little bit more about what they say about the ant people. I'm very interested in that. And what did they say about inner earth, like hollow earth and the beings that live underground? Okay, good question. When I worked with Gary David prior to the prior to the trip, um, he was a researcher, very, a lovely man. And when I first said I was a channel, sometimes people don't take that seriously. They don't respect the right brain. Um, skill set, if you will. And so we talked a bit more, and I told him that I take this very seriously and a bit of my process, and he, he accepted that. He, he felt that that, was, um, that I was speaking my truth. And so he suggested to me that when I got to the Grand Canyon after leaving Hopi, because he knew these lands and he said they were very sacred, very powerful lands, he said, I, I encourage you to call on the ant people have a meditation and call upon them and see what comes for you. So having been in the Hopi lands and all the driving and we finally get to the Grand Canyon, uh, realize, and I'm sure you know this, that the, the week before I was to get there, it was 111 degrees, and I would not have fared well with that temperature. But the universe really aligned for us, and by the time we started our hike, uh, through a rain that went through the canyon and so forth, the temperature dropped to 75 degrees. And we were able, with much more comfortable temperatures, to hike in a more remote area of the Grand Canyon. And I called upon the ant people. I had seen them before, um, actually, believe it or not, in France. That's a whole other story. But these were from inside the earth. And I saw them scale the sides of the canyon. They were large and spindly and very self-conscious of their appearance. They didn't really care for the surface of the earth. And so we connected, and thanks to Magda Grover for her recording of these sessions, and Mel from Australia who made the trip in, who's an avid listener of Starseed, of your show, um, We, Melanie Allen, we were able to make this really extraordinary connection they showed me how and it was a group of them that scaled the canyon rock to get to us and they showed me how they're working diligently and feverishly within our great mother our earth mother from from within and yes there are other civilizations there but they felt like to me that they were a dominant one although they kept their distance and boundaries from other civilizations was how it was presented to me. And they said that when they came here and then went inside the mother, inside our earth, they felt much more comfortable being there. 
and and this time of great um, purification, they are working extremely hard to when they find the different pressure points um, inside the earth that are coming from the surface, they believe, they actually go in groups, they send out groups, and they actually work to alleviate pressure and imbalance. That's what they were showing me, and it was very technical. And they they asked, why aren't you doing the same? And my answer was, we're trying. We're, we're trying to do this, but, you know, it's a, it's a tough battle right now. And so they said that we needed more people to believe in our power to help balance the earth. They also said that they said a lot, actually. Oh, my God. They they said so much. But they were, in terms of the Middle Earth, they were a, um, they were a private uh, civil, they, they were a private group down there. They were, uh, they kept to themselves. Their direct communion was with the spirit of Mother Earth. Does that does that resonate? That's that's what they were saying. They weren't interacting with other species. That makes sense. Yeah. But they felt a profound love for our Earth from the inside, and where which is where they said that they couldn't wait to get back to once they were delivering their message, and they really implored many of uh, the message that we should all be getting out on the Earth and really. Uh, loving her, healing her, doing everything we can to rebalance because she is under extreme pressure. And they couldn't guarantee that um, cataclysms weren't going to happen again. Well, I think it's a natural state of evolution, don't you think? I do. I do. I think we're exacerbating it, though. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I really do. Um, it be just the lack of conscious awareness that people to this day still have. Um, you know, they were really connected to to the. Um, you know, and I don't know if they're the Anunnaki or the in the end people are one and the same, but they were really connected to the Hopi uh, because and and I didn't because they felt the Hopi had learned the lessons of how to respect the earth and that their creator god Masao had given them charge of keeping balance on the earth with the ley lines and that was confirmed by our hopi guide that um you know they were charged with the ley lines and keeping the balance balance in the earth and sky and i think that's some of what was going on at chaco canyon with all those kiva openings aligned to orion they couldn't begin their sacred ceremonies until they could see Orion, those belt stars, from that opening. And and so the ant people were saying that we've forgotten how alive the stars are and what messages they truly carry for us. These are live communications and we're not we're not dialing in, if you will. Yeah. I can't remember the story. I just remember bits and pieces of it. But uh, I heard that the ant people were down in in southern part of New Mexico where they set off the atomic bombs, and that after the atomic bombs, the the white sand was heavy with radiation, and they took it upon themselves to to bring down the radiation of the atomic uh, bombs that had been 
on white sands. Mm. Yeah, I've been through that area before. I, the way that they showed me, they were working through from the inside of the earth. Remember before I said it was very technical what they were doing, like they had very advanced knowledge. So some of these technologies are things we don't even realize are possible. So that makes sense to me that they would have somehow known to transmute that radiation. Yeah, yeah. They also talked a lot about us as human beings and how we don't really realize our power. They um, said that through the chamber of the heart, our heart, the magic of power and the power of humans is stored. All knowledge is available to us, but it is the way that we access the knowledge that determines our mastery. And they believe that it's through the chamber of the heart. That's because the chamber of the heart doesn't have filters like the brain does. You think? Yeah, I think. <laughs> I know the brain. Yeah, has so they many- they were very adamant about that, and of course Magdalene is always talking about that, and we know Thoth was talking about that. Um, you know, in the in the ancient Egyptian. Uh, knowledge stream they they understood the that deeper working of the chambers of the heart but I, and I believe that the Hopi did and that's why I kept stressing that when we had that miracle of the rain at at Hopi it was not because we were all such accomplished shamans it was simply that the heart our hearts had connected in such a way we had such compassion for these people who had no water and had to find a way to live that it just it just tore open our hearts that rain would be so beneficial for them. And also, I believe that those codes, that energy that came out is really what made the rain form and rain down and literally rain down upon them. But I also think they they allowed you to be the demonstration so you could journal it. I think so. I think I think I was I certainly I'll speak for myself was given that miracle to begin to really incorporate that and understand what we are capable of when we are in our hearts and to be to be bringing that more to my groups and to the mother herself. So we needless to say we were we were just overjoyed that they got rain and that and it, it we we worked so hard with that Algonquin water song that after that it rained everywhere we went which was pretty funny. <laughs> That's good. So tell it us was, a little tell us a little bit about your recent messages from Mary. I know you always have one special for us at this time of year. I do, and I'm going to read that one a little bit later on. It's a little bit longer. But when I was speaking about the heart, um, Magdalene, I'm trying to get to that right now, she was coming in with messages, and they were they were short and simple. Um, and here's one of them I'll share right now. She says, as you stand at the precipice of what appears to be destruction in your world, Look up and see the starlight shining in the night sky. It sends forth impulses upon your earth with codes for this new cycle of time. There has been a dark force with with malevolent intent moving in your world for a very long time, and few have understood how to engage it 
and slay its darkness. In this new cycle of time, you will remember how to do such things, for the sustainability of your world depends on it. Those among you who wish to apply this knowledge will feel it in your bones and know it in your heart. The time has come to rise up, not with a sword dripping in blood, rather a sword of light that can be wielded for right action. Allow your intelligent heart to lead the way forward now as your world calls out for reconciliation and healing. Wow, I love that. You know, and and I'll I'll send it to uh, Arielle if she wants to post that one as well on the forum. You're you're certainly welcome to do so. But it's funny, when you were talking about the different um, astrological aspects that you were looking at, in relation to that July 28th date and what's afoot now, it seems to go hand in hand with her talking about this new cycle of time. And for those people who are ready to step into this awareness, um, you'll know it in your bones. You'll, you know, you'll feel it. You'll feel it in your bones. You'll know it in your heart. And that's what I think she's saying when you were talking about these bloodlines being activated by these aspects. Yeah. I'm wondering what that eclipse of August 21st of 2017 has to do with what you've been tracking with July 28th of 2019. That would be an interesting thing to look at astrologically. Mm. Well, I channeled, this piece was channeled actually, and it's fairly short, when I returned from the American Southwest and I was just reeling in the light that I felt it just seared into my psyche. Um, So that's, that's something that we shared. Now, there's another thing I'd like to share, if I can, um, about the um, an update to the Hopi prophecy or an example of it being fulfilled. I had thought many times of reaching back out to our Hopi guide, Iva, um, but something would always happen. The phone would ring, whatever, and I would forget. So in November, it was about mid-November, I said, you know what, I really need to, something is telling me I need to reach out to her very strongly and ask her, is there any updates that you can share? Because when we were there in July, she said that when her husband went out to meditate, you know, in the vast wide open space of their lands, that he noticed the sun was uh, rising in a bit of a different place. And this was in uh, July, a week before the... um, date of July 28th and I had had a profound experience at that time too so we were we were we were resonating with that particular time so when I reached out to her I figured I'd get a response in a day or two but I had one within five minutes and this is what she said my husband and I were just talking about the Hopi prophecy on how our sunsets will become very orange and beautiful but when it keeps doing that, it will start getting to, we will start getting red sunsets. It's a sign we are coming to a big disaster. That's been happening. So we started talking about our dry storage. We thought we would have a good harvest, but it didn't happen. And that's a sign in and of itself. Now, unlike where I live, where everything is accessible, you know, they don't have anything close by. So if there's something to happen, they really have to be prepared in advance because just to find a store in in itself is, is quite a track uh, on their lands. And so 
I thought, okay, you know, I know she's being honest with me and this is what they're seeing. So I just accepted that. And then a dear friend, my dear friend Magda, uh, sent me a picture because I had shared this with her that um, there was, a friend she knows uh, who is an excellent photographer had captured a red sunset just outside, just out of um, outside of Boston, like a couple of days later after we got this message, and it's striking and beautiful. But yet we cringed a bit because we thought, you know, should we be paying attention to this? Is this a sign? Is this the red kachina? Is this the red star kachina? Now we've we've shifted from blue to red in this seven year period, and so does that make everything more intense now? What we didn't get. In that seven-year period of Blue Star, you know, if in fact it's a seven-year cycle, maybe the Red Star will drive it home, and maybe that's what this January uh, 2020 eclipse in alignment and moon are unfolding for us. Very well could be. Could be. I think all the events are uh, – people ask me, well, when do you think this is going to happen, when that's going to happen? It's like – I think there's a series of events that take place before a, a big thing can happen. It's like a, something has to do with maybe Japan or something has to do with another part of the of the planet. There's a there seems to be some kind of sequence of events before a big one happens. Have you noticed mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Yeah. And and I feel because I've done so much work with the earth, I feel I'm very tuned into her into her heartbeat, into her movement, into her voice and awareness. And I believe and I believe that when this is coming, I will now feel it. Um because that's what's happened to me over the last year or two. When she's when she's shaking and moving, um, I just feel it now. I'm not separate from it. I'm very well synced into it. And, you know, at that point, again, the only thing I can do is put my hands on my heart, no matter where I am, and just be in that heart-brain connection, if you will, and just allow. Because I don't think any of us really know how things are going to unfold, what they're really going to look like. I think we've all been surprised already. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I agree with that. So, Gloria, I'm looking at the time, and I'd like to uh, share uh, you with my co-host, Arielle, at this time. And thank you so much for being our guest uh, for our Christmas show. And it's the last show that we're going to have in December. And please keep us abreast of your trips and things that we might help you with. You know, we shouldn't shouldn't just talk once a year. We should talk more during the year, okay? (laughs) Yes, I I totally agree. And like I said before, I was really motivated to reread your a book that you had sent me a long time ago, and I thought, you know, I, I thought the same thing. Lavendar and I need to talk. You know what's funny about that book is I don't even remember writing it. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. It was another life ago. I thought, oh, is she going to ask me a question about something in the book because I don't remember <laughs> writing it? <laughs> and that's the funny. truth. Okay. Yep. okay, so I'm passing you over to my co-host, Arielle. Uh, okay, Gloria. Okay, bye bye. Bye bye. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, with lavender, you never know who's um, dropping by um, etherically, <laughs> so um, that's not surprising. But I just I, I love to hear 
about what you do, the experiences that you have, and they are always extraordinary. And you keep bringing in more pieces of the puzzle. And and I know that you're totally, totally dedicated to this work. And oh, um, I am. Yeah, I am. I'm a little I, crazy at times, but I couldn't I couldn't imagine it being any other way at this point. Well, every day of your life has led you to today. I mean, that's true yeah. for everybody. But you've really yeah. had a lot of extraordinary experiences, you know, great teachers and um and the work that you do with Mary Magdalene on behalf of her and Yeshua. Um there are probably few that that do that. So you're you're a gem. Uh, I I appreciate that. I um you know I I was really lucky in my early my young young years to really just enjoy uh, the a simpler life and you know party and cook meals and go to concerts and you know I started young and I and I filled you know I had a full uh, experience with that and I'm grateful because when this part of my life came calling the grail the way. Um, the bloodline codes, whatever it all is that wakes up in a person, I couldn't see myself at this point doing anything else. And it's been 20 years now. And I have to say, I feel as passionate as I ever have. You, You know, you have ups and downs in a cycle that long. And there are times as a researcher or an intuitive or um, one who goes out and talks publicly or, you know, uh, gathers circles and, and does the more uh, intimate work with people on a on a more individual basis or a small group basis, you know, you, you sometimes lose your way a bit, but but you you still have that common thread going through. But I have to say, Ariel, that after 20 years, like I'm on fire because you, you stay that long with something and the big pieces finally start coming in, and they really start fitting in nicely. So my goal going forward is to say, I will still travel, I think I always will, but is to really write books that are clear and concise and that can help people. And I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure people, countless people have already been helped. But on that subject, um, you're releasing um, your new book in the spring of 2020? I am. I am. It's a little bit more of a personal story of how these doorways, how I think these doorways into other dimensional experiences happen right at, right out in the open and how spirit, um, Mary Magdalene, Yeshua, and others who have been my teachers both in physical form and in spirit, the things that they showed me and how in the beginning I thought I was absolutely losing my mind, but I kept with it. And always the right brain led the left brain. And I think this is really important to bring through in a very credible way because the feminine must rise now in all of us, both male and female. And there has to be a respect for the right brain and that skill set that it offers. And there still isn't, in my opinion. You know, we have a ways to go. I mean, we're making progress. We really, really are. I don't doubt it. But there, I think women, uh, and I was just talking to a good friend of mine in France who actually lives out west, um, and we were saying that we have taken in this research and these, these wonderful teachers that have taught us about the sacred feminine in the land. And they've done it through math and alignment and um you know, 
using some very logical and creative ways in which they do that. But now it's time for the women to go further with that and bring forth that deeper message of the feminine, and especially in the United States of America, the land of the goddess, believe it or not. France and the United States, there's a reason why there was an early alliance between the two. And it goes really, really deep. And I believe it has a lot to do with the vibration of the earth in our respective lands that are very feminine. Yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> you know, there has to be a balance. And, um, yeah, I, I know that, well, you look at the, the history of France, you know, the greatest, you know, art and, you know, that, that creative aspect has always been predominant, whether it's in food, fashion, art, sculpting, you know, France has really um, kind of led the pack with that. They um, have, I, and there's there's really a story to be told. You know, we're such a young country that we really don't understand what people, and a lot of people of the bloodline, what they sacrificed to create this great experiment here, this place of ascension. And right now, I know for a lot of people, it doesn't look like that. But Magdalene assures me that we are right on track. You know, we, we, we're we're um, we're in a precarious position, but yet we're right where we need to be. Um, and I don't know how we're doing for time, but I would love to share her message because it has so much to do with this. Okay, yeah, we're okay with time. And um, I was just looking at the at the switchboard, and we have one caller with a question. So if okay. it's okay with you, I would like to do that first, and then you can um, deliver Magdalene's message, and um, and then I have one more song to play, and I think that'll be a nice a nice flow for the show. So okay. um, you're going to talk to Nanette in just a moment here. Let me get the mic open. Hi, Nanette. Thank you for hi the there. call and hi there. And um you are on the air with Gloria, so go ahead with your question. Thank you, Gloria. I can relate to a lot of the things that you have gone over this evening. Uh and I wanted to ask something in reference to the bloodline. I had my DNA done when DNA first came out and I didn't know what I was doing, but I ended up with the one that they traced my bloodline all the way back to its beginnings, as far back as they could go at the time. And um, I was trying to figure out, because they said that my blood uh, line has to do with the, uh, they called it the Eve mitochondria, something with the Eve mitochondria DNA. And from mm-hmm. what I understand, they said it was very old and ancient. It's like over maybe 7,000 years old or maybe more. I'm not sure. So wow. I wanted to talk about a little bit about that. And I've been to Egypt and I went through those temples, you know, on the cruise. And, and then mm-hmm. I live out in Flagstaff, so I'm very close to where you were going. So all of this is making sense. And I'm part Native American also. Oh, so. bless you. <laughs> so what? So tell me again what your question is. You want to understand yes, a little to... bit more of that ancient bloodline? Yes, yes. And I know that uh, when my blood work did come back, I'm 25% of um, the Dogen. And I have a real fascination for the sky and space and stuff like that. So I wanted to find out if you knew 
maybe where I could find out more about it or, or how to read it. I just want to find out more about the bloodline. Wow. Well, more about the bloodline in terms of Mary Magdalene's time when she actually walked on the earth is mm-hmm. a little bit different than if we go further back and even further back from ancient Egypt. If we go to here's here's something to consider. If we go back to what I believe is pre-flood, so the great motherland, was it Atlantis or was it another name, who knows, but there was a great motherland. And it's my belief that the bloodline that you could potentially be connected to starts there. And I find this tribe or clan called the Tuatha de Danan, or the tribe of Dan, Danu. Um, mm-hmm. it, it moved from the Atlantean continent in the Irish um, creation myth. It moved to Ireland or the U.K., and they were a very, very powerful clan. But we also have the Amazons, which they're finding out more and more evidence about them. So I believe these are pre-flood, meaning Noah's flood, you know, the universal flood that happened. Mm-hmm. The, these bloodlines started when we had more memory available to us. So we knew more, we remembered more, um, we were much more awake as um, civilizations, as as groups of people, and and so that's that's the ancient piece of the bloodline. I believe that Yeshua, and I'm not the only one, that mm-hmm. if you if you go deep into the Rosicrucian um, archives, you will find that they believe Yeshua was Aryan of Aryan blood, and they don't mean Aryan in the terms of we've heard that word used around Hitler. You know the story of that history. Mm-hmm. But Aryan meaning Atlantean. Ah, okay. And okay. I even believe that Magdalene comes down through her tribe from those very, very ancient lands. Now, mm-hmm. where you find books on that that are credible, I'm I'm piecing mine together, and I will be writing about that. Um, mm-hmm. But certainly, an an interesting um, bloodline to consider. Well. A book that you might read that might put a little bit more of it together for you is by my dear friend, the the late Dr. Tim Wallace Murphy, called Rex Deus. That's R-E-X-D-E-U-S. And that will take you from the time of the sacking of the temple in the Holy Land and what the bloodlines were preserving up until the current day. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Because I've been it's a great to, book. Oh, good. Very good. I've been to Egypt twice and I've been to Israel twice. And I find that when I go into, the, you know, into both of those countries, I feel so peaceful and so at home. And I've been to places where I literally just broke down and cried because of whatever the energy I was feeling from being there. So it's very interesting that you're bringing this up and stuff. And I did not know that Mary and Jesus, I got a, kind of got hijacked to India. They kind of canceled my vacation the last two weeks, and I ended mm-hmm. up in India. And I followed yeah. the same trail that Mary and Jesus followed, and I went to the same exact places. Now, when you say Mary and Jesus, do you mean Mother Mary or Mary Mother Magdalene? Mary and Jesus. Okay. And, and that was the trip. I wasn't going to India at that time. I, that wasn't on the list of places that I really wanted to go. I was trying to get to the indigenous people in Australia. But the trip got canceled two weeks out, 
And so I ended up in India. And, I mean, the exact tra- trail that Mother Mary and Jesus went to, that was the exact trail that I went to, all the places. You know, your soul will always get you to the land that will, will, that will replenish your memory. Your soul mm-hmm. is in infinitely wise and it will make those changes on you in real time and have things like that happen we do know that yashua spent an enormous amount of time in india in his younger years being trained um the great white brotherhood set out uh instructions for the essenes to see to it how he was educated and what influences he was to be exposed to and the first Mm -hmm. country that he went to when he was about i think 13 um was india and I, I don't forget, he was there less than 10 years. He got mm-hmm. into trouble, according to the Rosicrucian teachings, because he wanted to give the, the these universal teachings to everyone, and they had a priestly caste, and they didn't mm-hmm. like that. So the mm-hmm. Essenes had to get him out of Dodge. They had to get him out of India because his life was being threatened. Oh, but, my goodness. you know, if you watch that um, fascinating DVD called Jesus in India, you'll see that they believe he was there and, and you know, he was recorded in their ancient texts. Some ah. people believe he had a he had a twin brother and uh-huh. later on he could have been the one that went back to India. So we don't I, so I don't know, I've never been able to answer that question, but you're right to believe that that Yeshua essence was there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Well, this has been fascinating. I thank you so much because, as I said, I'm finding out more about the blood. And when I spoke to somebody who does the blood, they said, well, it's it's old and it's different from the regular blood. And I don't know mm-hmm. what the Eve mitochondria, I don't know whether that was a direct descent from the Eve bloodline. I'm not really sure what it is. So I'm just trying to get some information about that. Well, I would so. check out Rex right. Deus because it does give you about 2,000 years of history And it does show you what these bloodlines, what they were preserving um, on the earth and in the Mm -hmm. memory banks, in the Akashic record, that Mm. would be retrieved by those of us who would wake up at this time and say, hey, there's something more going on here, and we would seek to find it. So it's a a good book, and it's reliable information, um, Mm -hmm. but there are more. So, you know, you're, you're welcome to go on my website. Um, I have an email address there. You can always reach out with a question and I do get to email and I will help you more if I can. Okay, great. And the name of the book was by Rex Deus? The book is Rex Deus, R-E-X-D-E-U-S, God Kings, um, by Tim Wallace Murphy. All righty. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the show. I appreciate Thank it you. all. Thanks so much, Nanette. Thank you for calling. Bye-bye. Thank you. Okay. Well, that was a good <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah, a good recommendation. I'm sure there are a lot of people that are going to go look for that book now. <laughs> so, I changed my um, life. It showed me the bigger picture. Wow. Yeah. Great. So um, I'm going to just sit and be quiet and allow you to bring us the message from Mary Magdalene. Okay. She she came through today, um, and it was last minute, so, of course, she kept me on the the edge, but I just had a feeling that she would, I think – 
there's just such a fondness for for you and Lavendar and the crew and for your listening audience. I've met just met some fantastic people. Um, it's just a wonderful connection. So this is what she had to say. Mary Magdalene speaks. It is from my heart that I extend this message to you, dear starseeds and listeners of all beliefs. This time upon us is a very potent opening in your collective ascension process, although it may not look anything like you had imagined it to be. Many of you did not anticipate the depth of understanding it would take to identify ancient wounds and correct the pattern of a broken timeline and forgotten memories. Yes, many of you have been exhausted by the length of your time on this path, the way of the heart. And yet I tell you, despite all appearances, the light is growing stronger on planet Earth, even while she, our great mother, is ready to crack wide open. Are you not feeling this way as well? However, in your classroom of duality consciousness, this is the procedure for your world to move to the next stage of your evolution. It can be a long and tedious process, but when the acceleration begins to speed up to a point of no return, the imminent shifting is at hand. This is where you find yourselves now, whether conscious of this process or not, whether in flow or resistance. The channel, meaning me, the channel was told in 2016 not to fear the extremes forming in your world, no matter how it appeared from the outside. Make no mistake that there has been a great initiative to hold you back, whether emanating from dark forces determined to slow your progress, from technologies employed by those who are experimenting with how they can influence your thought process, or even from the resistance of your own ego mind. Do not be fooled into this attempted undoing at this time. Stand in your beautiful light. Use your understanding of coherence and compassion to trigger your next level of genetic instruction. Lead the way forward with your heart light and memory intact. We do realize the images of suffering in your world are heart-wrenching, yet you must come to terms with this grand global mirror and what it is reflecting to each and every one of you. Stay vigilant and continue to do your inner work. Help your brothers and sisters as we help you. Many are struggling, fearing oppression, and they need a helping hand. Do not begrudge them, love them, even your enemies, for the road to spiritual richness is paved with the golden specks of love you sprinkle along the way. That sounds fanciful, but behold, this statement supports an ancient wisdom, for the specks of love hold light and celestial codes of data carried in that light. They are embedded for your benefit. As I have said before, sing to the stars and watch what happens. Absorb the starlight and place it into your heart. Trigger your own inner light exponentially 
and let yourself glow like never before. We see you by the light you shine and send legions of angels to support your remembrance. We are with you every step of the way. Wow. That, that really touched me. And um, I think I want to um, thank you at this point for sharing your, your work, your heart, and, and for helping to bring the message from Mary Magdalene to us because it is so needed at this time. So, Gloria, we love you, and let's talk before next Christmas, okay? Yes. I think I think we must, especially at this time. And, and thank you so much. You're making me well up in tears too, because I feel it when I channel her as well. It's uh, as I read it and, and hear your reaction, it 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 sinks in more with me too. And I will send it to you for your listeners to post. I'll I'll do that um, when we end the show. But thank you so much as well. And to end the show, I dedicate this next song to Mary Magdalene, Yeshua, and the bloodline.
And from our family to yours, we wish you the most joyous holiday season and spread your love, spread your light, and don't hold it back. Good night, everyone.